Good morning, everybody. Hey, <clears throat> we're going to take our offering. And so if you're new to this place, uh, first of all, we're glad you're here. If you're not so new, <clears throat> and this is your church home, thank you for being here. Thank you for giving. Thank you for uh, uh, being a part of this. It, as the ebb and flow, just to give you a little family business, the ebb and flow of a church giving calendar uh, tends to be right around this time, <clears throat> coming out of summer, we are a little behind. So, um, but we're also entering this stretch of um, the year where people are thinking about taxes and all that kind of stuff, and they have some, they see what they've been able to do. And um, so, if you are a part of giving to this place, maybe. Um, uh, if you've never given before, this would be a great time to jump in as we're catching up from the summer. Um, but we're just so glad you're here. So at any point, if I lose my voice today, <clears throat> I need like some volunteers to come and read the rest of the sermon. So Tom said he would, but anybody else, you know, if Tom goes down, I need a plan C. So I'm just kidding. Um, so glad you're here. Hey, listen, if you missed last week, which everybody here did, um, I'm just kidding, but it, it, was, it was like a small group. It was great. We had a great time last week together, um, but if you missed it, um, it was such an important week, um, it, it, it shooting us forward as a church. And, and we didn't get the recording, so I preached the sermon again in my office to myself and recorded it <clears throat> because it's that important for us going forward. So if you missed it, I really would love for you to catch up on that. The basic idea last week was that the invitation of Jesus was something to become, it, it was to become one of his Talmudim, one of his disciples. And if you became a disciple in the first century, it meant your goal was to be with your rabbi, to become like your rabbi, and to do what your rabbi did. And so last week, that was the the. The, just the unveiling of the overview of where we're going as a church. Today we're going to zero in on being with Jesus. Now, a little bit of my background over the last seven years or so. I shared last week <clears throat> that my background, that part of this um, series and where we're going has a lot to do with what has been happening in me what has been happening in the life of the church, and what has been happening in the life of the people that um, I, I'm talking with, and you guys, and, um, and there's a number of us that have gone, have grown up going to church, maybe. There's a number of us that <clears throat> we uh, initially believed that um, uh, it was about a, a relationship with Jesus, yes, um, and that by uh, saying yes to Jesus, and, and you've probably heard the term inviting Jesus into your heart and you're going to go to heaven when you die, um, has been kind of the, the mantra 
Um, so for me, I, had to, I, had to, I was coming through all of this, and I was unlearning some things. Now, all that stuff's true to an extent, but what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is that for me, I began, I thought follow, a, disciple, a disciple just learned more stuff about the Bible. That a disciple just learned more stuff about Jesus, learned more about the Bible, and learned more about how to behave like a Christian. Now, <clears throat> that took me pretty far in the sense that I kept wanting to learn more. I kept wanting to learn more. I kept wanting to, uh, to dig in and all that kind of stuff. I even went to something called seminary, which people who've gone to seminary also joke around and call it cemetery. Because sometimes when you go to seminary, you, your faith dies or your faith gets, um, um, it, it just becomes dry and dead. And I have a number of friends that went to seminary and we learned all this amazing stuff. And at the end of the day, at the end of seminary, and you can ask, there's probably about a half a dozen of us in the room that have been to seminary and done some really, really deep theological training, all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, it didn't change me. At the end of the day, I learned more. And you might be amazed at how much I know. <laughs> but inside, I was still a jerk. Like, inside, I was still wrestling with the same stuff, the same set of behaviors, the same set of insecurities, the same set of frustrations. And so I began to go on a journey, and the journey was, okay, if that's not discipleship, then what is? If that's not following Jesus, then what is? And like I said, through a lot of things, through my own journey through faith walking, this retreat we're doing, through my own journey through um, getting to know people and, and, and my friendship with Dan and some of the books I've been reading and things like that, this is some of the outcome of it. And it's not that I've arrived and I've figured it out. What I'm asking is I'm, I'm actually extending an invitation that Jesus Jesus extends to you, and that is to be one of his Talmudim, be one of his disciples, and that starts with being with Jesus. And so we are going to start in John chapter 1. In the next three weeks, we're going to go deeper on each one of these, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. John chapter 1 it says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. I, I just feel bad for John. He lost some guys. Turning around, Jesus, uh, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And I love that question. Hang on to that question. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, 
and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. A little further on in verse 43, it says this, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? This is like Hickville back then. <clears throat> Nathaniel asked, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Notice what Jesus says. He says, come and see. Come and see. Come see for yourself. See what I have to offer. Right? Be with me. And, and, and wherever you are in your relationship to Jesus, some of you have been following Jesus for your life. Some of you, you're here because someone brought you. You're really not sure about this Jesus thing. Actually, the invitation is come taste and see what this is like. Like, you, you may not have the ability to, to, to completely give your life over to Jesus, but what he's saying is just come try this out. Try this on. See what this is like. The question is, for you and I, how does this work now? I mean, Jesus isn't physically here. Um, we, we live in a different context. So how do you and I be with Jesus? How does that work? The closer Jesus gets to the cross the more he begins, he begins to give an answer to how that will work. Look at this in John 14. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The word advocate actually is a way of saying another one like me. Someone just like me. Verse 17, it says, The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. A little later on in verse 25, it says this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So according to Jesus, 
the way that you and I be with Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. And I said this last week. I'm going to throw this back up on the screen again today. The first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Holy Spirit. That is the baseline for following Jesus. That's kind of like ground zero. That is, come and be with me. Jesus gives us a metaphor about what this looks like. And uh, you've probably heard this before. It's out of John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, And as I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That word remain is meno in Greek. And it's a, uh, it's an interesting word. It actually means abide, abide in me. Um, Another way of saying it is stay at home in me, stay at home. And he goes on in verse five, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my Talmudim, my disciples, my apprentices. See, Jesus' metaphors, his metaphor is a branch and, and a vine. And he uses the word meno, remain, abide, ten times in that short little passage. Ten times. I mean, it's pretty clear what he's getting at. And his idea is get into the Father's presence and stay there. Get into the Father's presence. Root yourself in the Father's presence all day long. Now, This doesn't mean monastery living. This doesn't mean quit everything in your life and go hole yourself off somewhere and chant and wear a robe and brew beer, although many of you would like to do that. (laughs) This actually means learning how to live in two places at once. So, at work, and in the Father's presence. At school, and in the Father's presence. Doing email, and in the Father's presence. Visiting family, and in the Father's presence. In difficult conversations, 
and in the Father's presence. At a country music concert, <laughs> and not in the Father's presence. <laughs> Sorry. I had to do it again. Um, but this, this idea all day long, two places at once, in the world and not of the world, right? And this is, this is the focus. Jesus calls it abiding, okay? Paul calls it prayer without ceasing. There's a guy that many of you, you may or may not know of, his name is Brother Lawrence. He was a dishwasher. He was a 17th century Parisian monk. But he was a dishwasher. He wasn't a priest. And he got converted to Jesus. He was a soldier. There's a long story for his, his, where his life came from. But um, like I said, he was a, he was a dishwasher, but Word gets out because this guy's life goal is practicing the presence of God. And, and he would practice the presence of God, and, and, and he, he, his life just spilled out into the monastery and into the community around the monastery to such a degree that years go by. And Brother Lawrence begins to receive letters from people all over Europe asking, how do, you, how do you live in two places at once? How do you abide with Jesus? How, what is this practice like? And um, he would write letters back. And, uh, he, and, and late, way later on, uh, somebody collected all these letters and these writings of Brother Lawrence into a little book. And you can, you can grab this book. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And, and they put this book together. And there's a, here's a quote from it, from Brother Lawrence. He says, The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and the clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. So you can picture a, a 17th century monastery. Um, you've got some angry, hungry monks. You know, where's my potato soup or whatever they eat. Um, I just assume it's potato soup. Any, anybody else have a guess? But I'm just thinking that's what it is. And just in the craziness of the kitchen, it's frenetic. And he, he talks about possessing God in such tranquility that it's almost, it's like he's, He's, he's at the communion table. That he's in the presence of God. And, and right in the chaos of life. And I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I personally ache for that kind of a relationship with God. In the midst of the chaos of life, the difficult things, the diagnoses, the job stuff, the, the family stuff, everything going on. Like I desire to be able to practice the presence of God. And notice that he called it practice. 
He didn't call it, here's a teaching, or here's a podcast, or here's, here's a little book to read. It's practice. Last week, I shared with you this quote from Dallas Willard. It's a little long, but suck it up. <laughs> it says, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our mind. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in this practicing the presence of God, I think he got that from Brother Lawrence, is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we, we may well be challenged by the burdensome or our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. Okay, let's stop right there. Um, that's all of us. Our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. Uh, think about that, thinking about that email, that critical conversation you got from your coworker, or anything else that you need to do in your life. These are, these are burdensome habits, right? But he says these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Now, his point is that this is all about practice, that learning and to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Spirit actually takes practice. It actually takes intentionality. It actually takes priority. In fact, in the midst of the chaos of life, that's where it really, really matters. And so a lot of times what we'll say is, I just need to slow down and I'll get to that. I'll get to that when my kids are a little bit more grown up and they're on their own a little bit or uh, they, they're potty trained. When they're potty trained, I'll get to that or whatever it is. But, but there's something about right now, like what can we practice right now? What habits can we begin to change right now? There's a great book from a guy named James K.A. Smith Who's, it's called You Are What You Love. And this is all about brain habits and, and habits of the mind and, and following Jesus at the same time. It's a brilliant book. And he says this, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants your loves, and your longing. So these are the things that began to change my mind. Okay? That God isn't about me just learning more stuff. He actually wants to change my loves. He wants to change my longings. He wants to change all of that in me. Actually to change it. And I'm sorry, but one last quote. Look at this. It is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization in our own lives. 
But there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. I mean, this doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality. It takes reorganization. It takes some things to, to really change in our lives, in our routine. There is nothing, not self-help, no level of income, no right relationship, and no circumstance, all right, that will enrich your life more than God's presence. Nothing. And we chase all the other stuff. And so this is where the practice of Jesus, the practices of Jesus are key. So when you look at Jesus' life, the stuff that Jesus did, Jesus did some, some simple things. Silence and solitude. He snuck away. He, uh, he prayed. He fasted. He read scripture. He kept the Sabbath. He had all these really, really simple practices. And they are whole person practices, right? It's not just learning things. It's actually like I'm, I'm putting my whole self into this. And the reality is these practices have a lot of pushback in church circles. And we're going to get to that in a couple weeks. But there's a lot of pushback there because people think, well, that's legalistic. Um, but that's not what Jesus was getting at. See, for over a millennia and a half, followers of Jesus... When, you, when you'd start to follow Jesus, you began to do things Jesus did. And so then the enlightenment came, and we decided that we don't really need to do stuff. We just need to learn stuff. And so since the enlightenment, what happens when you come to follow Jesus? Probably someone handed you a book. <laughs> Read this. Read Romans. They told you to read something. Or listen to something to get more information. And, and listen, these practices are all great, and, and we're going to get to that, but is the point of reading your Bible reading your Bible? No. Is the point of reading your Bible learning more about your Bible? No. Like, that won't change you. That will not transform you. Like I told you, you could know the Bible cover to cover and still be a jerk. What changes us, the point of reading Scripture, is to know and love and live the way of Jesus. Right? To tune and retune your heart, your mind, your imagination, and your body to Jesus. Paul picks this up. In Galatians, this is a little sneak peek as to where we're going, but Paul picks this up in Galatians, kind of the same language even of Jesus. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, listen to this, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I love this passage. One of my favorites. But this one gets taken out of context all the time. Paul is not commanding people to, to be joyful and to have patience. He's not doing that at all. In fact, I remember in college, um, I was like reading this passage, and I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be more patient this week. I'm going to work on patience this week, and then next week I'm going to work on kindness, you know. And then maybe after seven or eight weeks, I'm like, done. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's like so ridiculous, right? Like, Man, I'm working on gentleness, not kindness, you jerk. You know, it's like. <laughs> Paul doesn't command that. There's no command in here. If there's any command, uh, it's, not about the, it's not about your will. It's not about trying harder. And some of you really need to hear that. You've grown up in the church world and you feel like it's try harder. Be more loving. <laughs> act more loving. Act more joyful. And, and it's, it's, it's not a grit your teeth and do this. Okay? It's not about trying. Listen, you and I, can we can utilize our will. And we can fake it for a little while. You can, you can fake it for a little while. You can, you, can, you can try really hard for a little while. Here's the problem. We all have a finite amount of will. And by 7.30 in the morning, <laughs> if you have kids, that's gone. Right? And here's the problem. Then you have a real problem. The real problem is because you can act more loving but you can't be more loving. And you remember we talked about last week, if you were here, we talked about this idea of behavior and how it, it seems to be like in church world, it's like changing your behavior behavior, and, and, be, and like acting more loving or acting more patient or acting more 
whatever. And the problem is, is you can't just pretend your life. It's exhausting. What Jesus is after is actually changing us, terraforming our inner world so that we can be joyful, not just act joyful, so that we can be patient people, so that we can, so we can be that in our core. So you can't just be more joyful you, you, without having this change inside of you. And so the two things that, that Paul kind of commands is the beginning at the end. He says, verse 16, walk in the spirit. And at the end, he says, let us keep in step with the spirit. This is his idea of abiding. See, we can constantly open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and let him into our world, into our partnership with God that God, via the Spirit, works out all of that stuff in us and through us. Paul's metaphor is like a fruit tree. He steals it from Jesus. He talks about fruit. He, like, this is a totally dumb analogy, but apple trees just make apples. It's just because they're connected, like the branches are connected to the trunk, it's just who the apple tree is. It just bears apples. I mean, I know that's like a stupid analogy, but it's like the vine and the branches, the grape thing. Like, of course, if you cut the branch off, it's not going to do anything. This is the idea of abiding. This is the idea of apprenticing Jesus. And as we live in connection with the Spirit all day long, he begins to change our inner world, right? and make that kind of life possible slowly over time. It's not a, hey, read this book and it'll be solved. You'll figure it out. And all that managing our behavior can be really exhausting. So here's what I want to say to us today. You're all sitting there going, okay, Ryan, great, but how? How do I do this? How does this happen? How do I abide in the vine in a world full of text message alerts and social media and deadlines and carpools and two-year-olds and shopping lists? How do I do that? Well, simply, but not simply, you live like Jesus. And that's deceptive because that sounds simple, but it's not, right? If you want to experience the life of Jesus, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And the life Jesus puts on offer, if, if it's so compelling, listen, if you read the four gospels, you look at Jesus' life, you're like, that is a compelling life. You have to adopt that lifestyle. And if you want to experience that, you cannot just believe the right stuff about Jesus. I mean, you can cram your head full of a whole bunch of great stuff. It's kind of like this. I, I've used different illustrations, but um, <clears throat> a few years ago I thought, man, I want to have a runner's physique. 
what are you laughing at? <laughs> so, and so I, I, I knew some runners, people in my life, they were like, they're like trim and fit and like lean and they're like strong, like a gazelle. And they run like, I don't know, like 50 miles a week or whatever, something ridiculous. And they get up early and they eat like a banana, which, ugh. And then <laughs> and they run, they run like a half a marathon and then they come home. I feel great. Like, I want that. But in order to be someone like that, you have to adopt that lifestyle. And I'm just not into it. But think about it, like great musicians, right? Uh, I, I, I watched a uh, little documentary on Coldplay. <laughs> and they talked about their apartment, the, the initial apartment where they were practicing for their first album that they released. And basically the band gets together in this apartment and they have some songs going together. and They just made a commitment to each other, two years two years, our whole life, we're going to give everything we have to this band. Everything we have. Not like, hey, you got time Tuesday night? Oh, well, there's a game on, so let's not. No, they, they like pushed everything out of their life to make that happen. Doesn't matter if you want to be a musician. Maybe you want to be a well-read person, but then there's the reading right? Like the reading is so boring, right? Like whatever you want. If you want to follow Jesus, you got to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Here's the reality. Your current life, my current life is the byproduct of our current lifestyle. Your life, your rituals, your routines, the way you organize your day, the way you organize your week, your money, your time, your downtime, all of that. In corporate business speak, it goes like this. Your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you are getting. So, I don't mean this to sound legalistic. I really don't. Like, but we want to experience peace. We want to experience God's mission in our life. We want to experience connection with God. What's the fruit of that for you, for me? Like, how are we practicing? Is it what you want or not? Because how you and I have set up our lives is perfectly designed to give us what it's giving us. And here's what that means for following Jesus. Think of that line we read earlier about the peace I leave you the peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Like we live in such a digital, digitally saturated, anxious world. And how many of you read that promise and go, I want that so bad, but I don't feel it. Like I want that so bad. How do you get that kind of peace? Well, I'm convinced it's like basing our lifestyle off of the practice of Jesus. 
We have to remember that Jesus is divinity and humanity in the same place. God's character on display through Jesus. What God looks like is what Jesus looks like in true human form. And so his identity and his calling was to put on display what it looked like to be fully human. Fully human, the way God intended. So what did Jesus do in his four Gospels? He was never in a rush. In fact, people got really angry with him, like, hurry up, Jesus. He spent time with family. He would slip away to be alone for a little while or overnight. He slept a lot. Like, remember, there was like really anxious times and people are trying to wake him up. He, he practiced the Sabbath. He was together with people who who loved God, he would gather with people, he lived simply, and here's the deal, he was at peace. And don't default and say, well, Jesus was God, so it was easy, he could just do it. No, Jesus was fully human. And so you could argue that Jesus actually had a harder life than you and I. I mean, you could just argue that, because he was crucified. You know, so you could just argue that it was harder. <laughs> but here's the thing. We're busy. We're overscheduled. We're on our phones constantly. We're, buy, we're, we're buying too much stuff. We're overeating. We're not sleeping well. And then we wonder, why am I not experience, experiencing peace with Jesus? We, <laughs> you know, it's like because peace is not this transfer thing that Jesus just zaps at us. Here's some peace for your horrible life that you created. <laughs> Here you go. You just keep living like an idiot and I'll zap some peace at you. Right? <clears throat> they did a study recently on smartphone usage. Over 100,000 people in the sample pool. You're going to love this, people. The average user touches their screen 2,600 times a day. Average, the middle of the bell curve, right? Uh, 2,600 times a day. Listen to this. For 76 sessions, okay, a total of 145 minutes a day. That's the middle of the bell curve. That's not your teenager. So why are we stressed out? Well, it could be one reason. Listen to this. Last quote. We're going to wrap this up. You're like, I thought you said that already. Here we go. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know and the condition we want to enjoy. Listen to this. This is the feature of a human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intention. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. Here's the thing. Most of us want this. We want apprenticeship to Jesus. We want it. The problem is we are unwilling to rearrange our lives to see the fruit of it. 
And there's no guilt here. I'm telling you this is, I'm with you on this. I have a smartphone. I have responsibilities. I have everything going. A lot of you think I just golf and drink coffee all the time, but (laughs) here's what I'm getting at. The lifestyle of Jesus is the way to the life of Jesus. (coughs) The lifestyle of Jesus is the way to the life of Jesus. The early church calls, were, were called, the early church was called followers of the way. It's never about believing the right stuff. It's about a whole new way of life. And I know this seems overwhelming, but I'm going to give you two things really quick. Long term, what this can look like in your life. Find ways to simplify your life down to what really matters. Slowly cut out all the extra unnecessary activities and gradually add in the practices of Jesus. This is going to take you in community. You're going to need to talk to people like, how do you do this? How do you find time? How do you, hey, maybe we could meet together and practice this. Hey, what does it look like to, for our family with soccer and this and that and band and all this stuff that we have, how do we slow down as a family? Like, how do we taste even what Sabbath could look like? What does it look like for me to get alone with God? And for those things to be added into your life, there are things that have to go. You're not going to make more time. And so in all different places, and this is great, asking for help. Make a list of what needs to go and what needs to be introduced. Um, One of the things that's been on my list for a while now is building in rest in my life. So I have certain non-negotiables at the end of the middle of the day, Friday to Saturday, what that looks like. Um, And I won't get into all that, but it's just part of my rhythm. You know, when we first started this church, it was nuts. There was a lot of pressure. There were a lot of anxieties. Um, Just everything going on. And we decided to do it at the end of finishing seminary, which was stupid. I weighed the most. We looked pictures when I graduated seminary. I'm like, I'm bigger than I am now. kids, house. Our house was built in 1966. Everything was old. We wanted to fix everything. Everything was overwhelming at the time. And I decided, you know what? I'm not going to have more time. I just have to build this in. So we will do this together as a church. Dan and I have been talking about this idea, and, and this is really Dan's just desire to see people who've done this before, teach other people to do this before. Like, what does it look like? For those of you who have followed Jesus for a long time and been with Jesus, like, what would it look like for you to help people experiencing that? And what would it look like for you? Like, I want to learn what it looks like to have a rhythm in my life. What would it look like for you to reach out to somebody, to ask them to help you? The second thing is it's going to take time. 
It's going to take time. On the short term, let me ask you this. Could you set aside a little time each day just for silence and solitude? Just to be still. Just to turn your phone off. Um, there was an interview at the, um, in the 80s with Dan Rather and Mother Teresa. Some of you have heard this. Dan Rather asked Mother Teresa, when you talk to God, what do you say? And uh, Mother Teresa says, I don't say anything, I just listen. And then Dan Rather was kind of confused, and he says, okay, well, what does God say to you? And she says, he doesn't say anything, he just listens. And then she said, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. There is a life that is waiting for you, a life that is Jesus has put on offer, an open invitation, a full life. And Jesus says, just come and see. Come and see. Will you come and see? And as we close, I'm going to let the band come up. We have some practices for you. And we put together three practices. Um, there's a few printed. Some of you guys just like, they're old school. You like printed handouts. There are some printed handouts, correct, out on the info table. There's three practices. If you want to try, I would encourage you to do that in a group setting or grab a friend or two and try some of these on this week. But they will be available also tomorrow online. And so I would encourage you to, to, to lean in and dive in on that, okay?